Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Okay, so we are in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke now for a while. We will be here uh, in Luke for a while longer. Uh, We'll take a break. I think probably Palm Sunday and Easter. We'll do something uh, appropriate to the calendar there and then come back later. But uh, this morning we're in chapter 11. It's a little bit of a a kind of a a strange passage, a little cryptic in some ways, also kind of confrontational. There are a few places in the Gospels where Jesus gets pretty confrontational, and this is, this is one of those places. I, I always like that. I like it when he gets a little hot under the collar. I don't know. That's just me. But um, you might recall last time, uh, last week, if you were here, Jesus had cast a demon out of a man, and the crowd that had gathered had uh, sort of diverse responses to that. Some were amazed. They just saw it and went, wow, that's, uh, that's something else. Others, uh, you know, accused him of doing this by the power of Beelzebul, who uh, in our context here will henceforth forever be known as the poop guy. Um, and uh, he, Jesus addressed that crowd last week. There was a third response. Another group of people asked for a sign. They were interested. They, they liked what they saw, but they kind of wanted to see a little more. And it's that group that Jesus turns his attention to today. So our title this morning, if we could go to that, is Get Real. And that'll make a little more sense to you as we go. Uh, But let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, thanks so much for your word. I pray that it would uh, encourage and strengthen our hearts today and lift our hearts up to a place where we really can uh, trust in you and believe in you in in every and all in any situation that we might encounter uh, in our daily life. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, go ahead, and there's uh, the text on the next slide. Uh, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Oh, my. Um, so as, as Jesus is ministering, uh, the size of this crowd that has gathered increases. That makes sense to me. People are healed, they're delivered, they're being set free, and other people hear about that, and they want some of that too. I mean, who wouldn't? So the crowd is growing. Uh, and, and I, you know, I would just say this. I, I, that's what we should be about today. That's what the church should be about. It, it should be about freedom. It should be about life. It should be about healing. It, sh- it shouldn't be about, uh, you know, division. It shouldn't be about our political agendas. It shouldn't be about 
uh, condemnation or judgment on people. Our, our, I, I, would, I would love that people would think of the church and think of healing and think of life uh, and think of freedom. That would be the thing that uh, would draw big crowds. Um, in this crowd here with Jesus, there are also uh, looky-loos. There, there are folks who just, just want to see the next big thing. And it's interesting, we, there, there, we still have those today. I affectionately refer to those folks as conference junkies. And uh, they have a tendency to go from place to place, event to event, uh, kind of looking for the next big thing, following the next big name, hoping to get a word. And um, while I understand the dynamic that those things are encouraging and exciting, there's also reality that we've kind of been talking about, it's been a theme this morning, that our faith is walked out and lived out day to day in the, in the midst of who we are. It's not about really going here and going there and trying to see, you know, the next new thing God's going to do. I think it's really about living uh, out our faith in community. It's about walking through stuff together and, and being with those people that God's called us to be with and be a part of. And, and when we rejoice, we rejoice together, and when we mourn, we mourn together. And that's, that's really what I think uh, the essence of the community and the church is really about. It's to this group of looky-loos that Jesus responds uh, fairly confrontationally. And essentially he's saying this, uh, hey, look, if people being set free, if people being healed, you know, if people being delivered is not enough to convince you that the kingdom of God is here, what is it you want? You're, you're missing the boat. You, you don't understand what I'm really about. Uh, go to the next slide. It says, oh, wait, uh, that's right. This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Um, what was the sign of Jonah? Uh, <laughs> there, there is some debate about that. There, there are, uh, within biblical scholarship, basically two schools of thought. Uh, one school of thought is that the sign of Jonah was that Jonah was swallowed by this fish. He spent three days in the belly of the fish, and then he was gacked up sort of in a, in a resurrection kind of thing. And so that happened to Jesus three days in the grave. And uh, uh, then he was coughed up as well. Um, that's plausible, I suppose. Um, if you ever get really bored, just time on your hands, you know what to do. J just Google what kind of fish swallowed Jonah. It's a fun, it's a fun little ride, let me tell you. Um, you want me to give you the lowdown? Just, okay, so, so, so there's, there's a, one school of thought says this is, this is a parable. It never really happened at all. Uh, the other group says uh, that, you know, if, if this is legitimate, if it really happened, that there are, there are four real options. One is that this was some sort of an ancient giant fish that no longer exists. Two is that it was a sperm whale. Sperm whale is a large enough mammal, fish, ocean-going creature does not live in the Sea of Galilee, but uh, could have possibly accomplished this task. Third would be a great white shark. Great white shark somehow didn't chew Jonah up, swallowed him whole. And then the fourth is a whale shark. Whale shark has a large enough mouth and large enough stomach to accommodate a human being for a short period of time. So those are the theories. But again, just for fun, Google that someday. Um, it'll, it's enlightening. Uh, second theory is this, is that Jonah called the Ninevites to repent and here now, Jesus is calling uh, this group of folks to repent. I, I would say probably that's the more 
uh, likely reference, but who knows? Could be both. Could be one or the other. Um, this, this essentially is a, is a message on repentance. And uh, that's not a subject we talk about a lot. It's not, not always comfortable to talk about repentance. I, I was thinking, you know, if I were to pass out three-by-five cards and say, hey, I would like everybody to write down two or three topics you would like teaching on in the future. If I'm going to do a new series, what would you want to hear about? And I'm sure I would get a, a diverse response, broad spectrum, probably healing, gifts, prophecy, end times, whatever, I, a lot of different things, relationships. I, probably no one would write repentance. I don't think anybody would say, what I really want to know more about is repentance. That's what I want to know about. Um, it's not always comfortable because repentance requires some self-evaluation, and we don't always really like that. I think most of us, if we're honest, are much more comfortable pointing out what's wrong with everybody else. Well, that guy, let me tell you about him. Uh, but when it comes to uh, really looking inward and, and taking an inventory of where my life is at, that's a little harder for us to do. But to truly follow Jesus, to grow in our relationship with him, uh, that's exactly what we're called to do. To look internally and to be evaluating where might my life not be lining up with what God says. Go to the next verse, if you would. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. So again, the reference here is 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba, uh, who was a pagan queen, not a follower of God, but she heard about Solomon's wisdom and traveled a great distance, essentially about 1,500 miles, uh, on camelback through the desert to go hear from Solomon. And she got to where Solomon was and asked him a series of questions. She really grilled him and, and asked him hard things, which he was able to answer effectively. She was impressed, and she made a large contribution to his, his kingdom. So, so here's what Jesus is saying by this, okay? He's saying is, if this pagan queen doesn't know God, responds positively to the light that she has been given, how much more should you? You're here today with me. I am the light of the world. There's a lot of light here. And she responded positively. How much more should you be responded positively? So she stands as something of an indictment against you if you don't respond to the light that you have in front of you right now. Go to the next slide. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Again, the Ninevites were not Israelites. They were not followers of, of Yahweh, uh, and yet they repented. Uh, and so how much more should you? Here, here's what I think. God's at work everywhere all the time. God is at work everywhere all the time. And different people have different amounts of light. They have different revelation, different understanding of God being at work. You know, sometimes I, I've known people who just have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God, and they walk in sort of that presence all the time, and they're aware. They see stuff God's doing around them that we walk right by and miss. You know what I mean? Uh, Jesus is at work all the time. God's working all the time. 
that should be encouraging to us. God is at work everywhere all the time. We don't always see it, but, but he really is. And so sometimes you get these questions. I, I, I get asked this, uh, not often, but occasionally, usually by a, kind of a new believer. They'll say, what about, you know, these people? I, I heard about this tribe in the Amazon jungle, and they've been out there uncivilized, and nobody's ever found them. And so they don't know about the gospel. What if they die? Do they go to hell? Uh, you know, and I, I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I trust that God is at work and that he will judge those people based on the amount of light they have, not on the amount of light we have. There's a different criteria for judgment there. I, I used to jokingly, so, so I grew up in Orange County, California, and I used to jokingly tell my friends that still live in Orange County today that they live in Christian Disneyland. Um, there are, there are, the church we grew up in, Anaheim Vineyard, there are three mega churches within one mile of Anaheim Vineyard. There are 191 mega churches in Orange County, California. That's literally a mega church on every corner. Uh, you, in my estimation, it, it has to be virtually impossible to live in Orange County and not have heard the gospel. Absolutely impossible. If you do, you are like, that's just beyond comprehension. Now, some parts of our country, maybe, maybe that would happen. Parts of the world, sure. Orange County, no way. No way. So we are called to respond to the light we have. There's a different standard for somebody who hears the gospel all day, every day, than somebody who's living in a place where the gospel is less prevalent than that. God will sort that out. One of the themes that kind of seems to come up in the Gospel of Luke periodically is that sometimes the people who appear to be on the outside are really the ones on the inside, and the people who look like they're on the inside are actually the people on the outside. Oh, my. If we take that seriously, uh, rather than be wondering about the outsiders... Can they really be saved? I, I, I would just trust God for that and say the question we should be asking is, am I responding appropriately to the amount of light I've been given? That really should be the question. Uh, how am I doing in this thing? The crowd is growing here. Uh, Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing miracles. People are, are seeing that. Uh, so they come around, the crowd grows, and Jesus takes that opportunity to say, this is a wicked generation. That's not very nice. It's so uh, un-American. Uh, it's uh, election season. That's not a good campaign slogan. I was thinking about that. You are a wicked generation. Vote for me. Not going to happen. Not a way to win friends and influence people. Definitely not seeker-sensitive. I thought about that too. Probably not going to go to a seeker-sensitive church and hear this is a wicked generation. Uh, it's fairly confrontational. Jesus is asking this crowd essentially this. Why are you here? Did you come to see the show? Because if you just came to see the show, let me say this, you're going to be disappointed. You want, to, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Repent. That's your sign. Jesus confronts this crowd pretty head on. Why does he do that? Um, look, he's holding up a pagan queen and a group of unbelievers 
positively. They responded positively to the little bit of light they had. And this audience is hearing him. They are not going to respond to that very well. They're not going to like what they're hearing here. And, and, and let me say this. So the crowd there, they have an idea in their minds of, of what the Messiah should be like, and what they're hearing right now is not it. Okay? And can I say, graciously, that's a pretty common mindset among religious people. Religious people think they have God figured out. This is how God works. And anything outside of this box that I have figured out, that's suspect and probably heretical. And let me say this to you guys. Anytime we begin to get our life, our worth, our value, our purpose, our meaning from the rightness of our beliefs, we have effectively cut ourselves off from any deeper understanding of who God is. Look, I believe that throughout the course of our lives, God will continue to become more and more real and shine more and more light in our hearts and we'll grow into a deeper and deeper understanding of who he is and how he works and that that never ends. And when we think we've got it all figured out and we're the right ones and everybody else is the wrong one, we cut ourselves off from moving forward in that process. Don't do that. Jesus is, uh, he's hitting pretty hard here. He's confronting them fairly direct on. He's calling them to repent of the notion that they've got it all figured out. You guys think you've got this down. Let me tell you, you don't. So, so let me just, a couple of things about repentance. I want to, you know, f- first of all, repentance requires us to face reality. Human nature causes us to think that uh, the world is on our terms. My world is the world. The way I see it is the way it is. That has been my lesson. The thing God's been showing me over the last year or so is that my world is not the world. And, and that came originally through some of my work with Vineyard Missions as I go into Latin America and other places where people's perspectives are so much different than ours. I realized my world is not the world. But then I, when I begin to translate that into my daily life here, I realize that other people see the world differently than I do. And I want to understand how they see it, not just cut them off and think, well, my, my way is the way. My way or the highway. We tend to do that. We tend to think that how I see things is the way they are. The truth is this. We don't get to define reality. God defines reality. Our role is to align our thinking with God's reality, and that's what we call discipleship. Discipleship really is me bringing my thinking into line with the truth that God puts forth. That's that process of moving forward with him. Uh, in real terms, the converse of that would be this. And it's dangerous. It's a person living a life inconsistent with God's truth and carrying on as though they've got it all figured out. And what you end up with is a situation you know, with a guy like Bill Hybels, who's pastor of the biggest church in America and has a whole separate life over here. He's got a side chick and the whole thing going on, and he thinks that my reality is reality, but it's not. Your reality is is falling further and further out of line with God's reality. We can't live in an alternate reality and justify our behaviors and attitudes if they're inconsistent with God's purpose 
and allow that to be our reality. Repentance is the opposite of that. Repentance is bringing our thought process into line with God's truth. It's about being willing to acknowledge that my thinking may be wrong, and so I'm going to redirect my thinking and try to bring it closer in line with God. And then it's about not only acknowledging that, but beginning to take steps to physically do that, to, to move my life towards that, to align my life with, with my new way of thinking, which is closer to God's truth than it was before. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. We think of repentance, you know, maybe it's different now. I grew up in the 70s, and repentance was a guy with a sign on the freeway that said, Turner Burn. You know, it's like, that's really kind. Uh, Jesus loves you too, pal. Um, repentance is, is not a punitive thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a freeing thing. It's freeing. We're held in bondage by the things that we think that aren't consistent with God. As we turn away from those and towards Him, that frees us up. It's, it's a joyful thing. It's a positive thing. second thing about repentance is this. It's not necessarily emotional. And again, I think sometimes there's this sort of weird notion out there that if you're truly repentant, you know, you'll be emotional and you'll cry maybe for days or weeks and almost have a meltdown. Uh, if that doesn't happen, you're not really repentant. And I would say this, nah. Look, if, you're, if, if, you, if you repent and there's some emotion connected to that, that's okay. That's not bad, but it's not required. It's really more cognitive. It's behavioral. It's not emotional. You, you, you might cry, you might not, but it's really realigning your thinking. It's saying, hey, I'm realizing some of the things I've thought are inconsistent with God. I want to redirect my thinking more to be in line with Him. Uh, worship team, you guys come back. Uh, go to the next slide, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Paul says this, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. So it's not that you were sad or sorry that Paul's rejoicing. He's rejoicing that what happened is now the Corinthians have redirected their lives. Uh, I would say it this way. I like this. Repentance is a verb. Repentance is a verb. It's an action word. It, it's, it's going a different direction. And that might include restitution. It might include making some wrong things right. Uh, it might not, but in some cases it does... And I think we should pray, each of us individually, say, is there something in my life that's been out of line that maybe I need to make right with someone else? Uh, you might remember uh, a wee little man named Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Is that right, honey? Did I get it right? Is that it? Yeah. I did it, okay. Rogan, I told you I'd sing today. Uh, go to the next slide. <laughs> I'm so off. Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times. Zacchaeus repented from his miserly, greedy attitude, and then he made restitution to those people that he'd wronged along the way. So it's freeing. That's freeing. There's a weight. It's like a weight's lifted off of you in that, in that way. So last thing is this. Uh, Repentance is not always individual. Sometimes it's corporate. Um, 
Jonah called the Ninevites to repent. Jesus here says this is a wicked generation. He calls a generation to repent. Sometimes we can be involved in, in groupthink, and we can be caught up in a way of thinking that, that's corporate, but not in line with God. Um, so, so yesterday I was praying and just kind of going over this, and I had this thought. I'll just submit it. That, that maybe, maybe the church and, and, and I, I, the kind of the church in America, the evangelical church sort of, maybe needs to repent today. So, so here's, here's why. I, I, I think this, that there's a, there is a section of the church, there's a group, there's people out there that are self-proclaimed revivalists and they're looking for revival and they're praying for God to move in this country. On one level, there's nothing wrong with that. But my thought was this, maybe for God to move, the church needs to repent of their treatment to the least and the lost. Maybe we have not been adequately loving the people that Jesus loves. Maybe we've not been who we're called to be to the poor, to the foreigner, to the LGBTQ community. I don't know who. I think maybe the church needs to repent of their behavior and their attitudes towards those people that Jesus loves so deeply that he came to see you saved and we've pushed them outside the box and not really love them. And maybe that's what will unlock revival in our nation rather than just praying for God to move in our building. That's just my thought. Um, I'll close with this if you go to the last slide. One more. There it is. If my people who are called by my name, people, corporate, will humble themselves, corporate, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, will heal their land. And to me, that may be the most profound verse about revival that uh, we could look at. So why don't we stand? We're going to close with a little bit of worship, and then we'll have some prayer time. I return your stand to you, my dear. Um, I'm going to invite our ministry team to go over the sides of the room right now. And during this last song, if you're here today and you would like prayer, I would welcome you to uh, make your way over there and see somebody and get prayer. If you're sick and you want prayer for healing, we certainly will pray for that. Anything else going on in your life, we would love to just join with you in prayer, partner with you in prayer. Uh, so there's folks on both sides of the room, and you're welcome to do that. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.